I'm Romano Georgi. Welcome to the Much Better You 3 in 15 podcast. This podcast packs three life-bettering, easy-to-grasp principles into weekly 15-minute episodes. These life hacks are designed to improve your mental, social, and financial health and wealth. Give the next 15 your full and undivided attention, for the much better you is waiting. Hello, welcome to episode five of the Much Better You, three in 15 podcast. Now, I know what you're thinking. Episode five already? Pull the other one. We've enjoyed your podcast so much that time has just shot by. Well, that's very kind of you. Thank you. So someone recently fed back to me that I keep going on about how the greatest fulfillment in life comes from serving or positively interacting with others, when for them, there are other things in life instead that are equally, if not more, fulfilling. Oh, no! Well, I think that's great because we are all different. As I stated at this podcast's Ground Zero, I can only speak for myself in this matter and hope that some of what I say resonates with others. Whatever floats your boat may not lift mine in the same way, but that's the beauty of discussion. I will say again, however, that we are hardwired to be social animals. Our ancient selves had to collaborate with others in order to survive. If you didn't get on with the rest of your hunter-gatherer pack, you were toast. I think that's where our modern-day social need stems from, and yes, I think it's selfish, but controversially perhaps, one could argue that pretty much everything we do is selfish. <gasps> Another discussion for another time, perhaps, but please feel free to comment in the meantime. I'd also like to start cross-examining the end of episode statements that I give each week. So let's please start with episode one statement. You see what you are. Now, James and Claudia both kindly commented on the 3 and 15 podcast Facebook group discussion about you see what you are. Gloria says, most of us don't see our full potential or the impact we have on others, be it negative or positive. James says that he hears two potential meanings in that final thought. There's that of self-reflection and seeing yourself during introspection, but perhaps seeing others through the lens of your own experiences and biases and projecting these experiences onto others. And you know what? I think they're both onto something when they talk about negative or positive outlooks or projecting experiences or biases onto others. And so I'll briefly explain why with my own interpretation of the statement, you see what you are. Essentially, it's your RAS. No, I'm not talking about a night out on the piss. I'm talking about your reticular activating system that links the subconscious parts of your brain to the conscious. So... If, for instance, you buy a red Tesla car, pretty soon you will start seeing red Tesla cars everywhere because you've been switched on to red Tesla cars, whereas previously you may not have noticed them. What you focus on expands. So if you're a negative person, you will see negativity everywhere. Problems. You won't trust others. If you're a positive person, however, you'll see the good in others, in the small things, in life more generally. So you'll probably live a more fulfilled life as a result. You see what you are. 
Thanks so much for taking the time to share, guys. Did I mention that I want this podcast to be highly interactive? So I want the rest of you to pitch in too. Anyway, in today's action-packed episode, bubbling with fizzy pops of inspiration, I shall get you to think about your purpose, your why. We shall discuss how to ward against digital dementia. And finally, I'll talk about a subject that is particularly close to my heart at this time, which is managing adversity. Right, unless you are busy furiously haggling with a used car salesman after just realising that your starting offer was higher than the asking price, sit back, relax and plug in. This will feel a little weird. Welcome to the Much Better You 3 in 15 podcast. Episode 5, Principle 1. Find your why. What is it that gets you out of bed in the mornings? What is it that drives you to do your 9 to 5 job day in, day out for most of your waking life? Or let me ask you, what is it that fulfills you the most? What is your purpose? What is your why? Would you be surprised if I told you that most people I ask either A, just don't know, B, never really thought much about it, C, have some preconceived response, such as I want to make a lot of money or I want to get married and have kids, or D, they give me several answers as a stream of consciousness, but they seem to be figuring it out in front of me. Which is all crazy, by the way, because surely your purpose in life, your why, should be a pretty fundamental priority for you. And before I move on, saying stuff like my purpose is to make money or having kids often doesn't bring the kind of fulfillment that comes with discovering your personal sense of purpose. True purpose is not a specific end goal. It is more of an ongoing impact on the world, small or large. It is your purpose, your why, that sustains you through thick and thin. Purpose gives you stability and direction, which is why finding your why is essential for living a fulfilled and healthy life. Ideally, your purpose blends with what interests you and brings you joy. In Japan, this concept is known as ikigai and essentially entails finding the overlap between what you love and the world needs with what you are good at and the world will pay for. If you're lucky, you find your ikigai through your job. For example, a paramedic hopefully believes that their purpose in life is to help the sick or to save lives. Others, however, may get caught between work, family and social expectations, and so they abandon what they consider to be the unrealistic, idealistic version of themselves. But finding your why in life is not just a nice to have, it will contribute to your better physical and mental health. Figure out a way to articulate to yourself or to crystallise in a way that you can fully relate to what your why is, as to do so will more quickly put you on that road to fulfilment. Or to reframe it, knowing your why enables you to filter out all the unnecessary crap or distraction in your life so that you will live with greater clarity and inevitably greater energy that will better see you through rainy days. Now, Simon Sinek is a well-known speaker and author, and his book, Start With Why, is what really put him on the map for me. In this book and his numerous excellent TED Talks and YouTube videos, Sinek famously describes what he calls his golden circle, which he says is a simple formula used by all successful leaders and organisations. Please see the muchbetteryou.com website or the 3 in 15 podcast Facebook group for an illustration of this golden circle. But essentially, you have three concentric circles. The smallest inner circle or core is your why, your purpose, your motives. 
The slightly larger middle circle is your how or your methods. And finally, the largest outer circle is your what, your results or your outcomes. Sinek says that your why should come first when communicating, before your how and your what. For instance, a company such as Apple is massively successful because it puts its why first. Its why being efficiency, innovation, thinking outside of the box. All of this before it builds its computers, iPhones, iPads, or before it counts its profits. However, the mistake that most companies or leaders make is that they do things the other way around. They start with the what, aka profits or outcomes, then they move on to the how, i.e. they build their computers or products, and they may not even think about their why. And this is their big mistake. Because people or consumers care a hell of a lot more about your why or your motives than they do about your what or your how. And you know what? This is also going to apply to job interviews, where your motivational fit or your motives for wanting the job should be more important to your prospective employer than your technical skills. Why? Because unlike technical skills, you cannot teach someone their why or their motives for doing a great job. Furthermore, and most importantly, starting with your why will clear your path to a more fulfilling and successful life. So let me finish with some tips on how to find your why. Take time to create a personal vision statement, which essentially describes your values, your strengths and your life goals. This should be reviewed regularly and will give you a sense of inner control about what is happening in your life. This can help you to move from a cycle of stress to one of balance. Giving back or being pro-social can help you develop your sense of meaning and purpose because when you help others, you may also help yourself. Look for ways to be of service perhaps by volunteering or donating your skills that are worthwhile cause. Practice gratitude as this can make you more generous to others, which ties in to giving back as I just described. And finally, explore your passions and interests as these are often a good indicator of the area in which your purpose, your why, will lie. And according to Simon Sinek, if you're not sure about your passions... Ask the people who know you best, for it is likely that you're already pursuing these passions in some way without even realising it. And who knows, your passions may become a hobby, a side hustle or a full-time source of income. So take some time to dig deep, my friends, and figure out what it is that you give to the world. Find your why. Episode 5, Principle 2. Beware, Digital Dementia. When was the last time you used a physical map to find your way from A to bed? I mean, A to B even. When was the last time you memorised a phone number or a shopping list? When was the last time you picked up a dictionary? Chances are a very long time ago, because nowadays all that kind of stuff is being outsourced to our smartphones. Now, I've previously touched on this digital dementia principle before, but I'm going to go into a bit more detail here. Now... Don't get me wrong, smartphone technology is driving incredible progress. Entry-level smartphones, for instance, run rings around the technology that put man on the moon. The problem, however, is partly information overload. As Jim Quick of quickbrain.com, and I'm going to spell that, it's K-W-I-K brain.com, he says that using a smartphone is like trying to take a sip of water from a fire hose. 
Yes, our brains get a dopamine hit, but they are just not designed to take in all that information. There is too much choice, too much distraction in the form of sidetracking adverts or social media news streams. How the hell can we focus on any one thing? And the problem is that this spills into other non-digital aspects of our lives. No wonder smartphone overuse leads to anxiety. As well as information overload, your smartphone is taking the place of both short and long-term memory. I don't need to memorize directions or numbers or diary dates or appointments anymore. So our brains are losing their edge. We are losing our mental capacity, our focus, and society is suffering from what Jim Quick dubs digital dementia. Your brain is like a muscle. Use it or lose your sharpness, your focus, your attention span. I must confess, the more I use my phone, which is still way too much, by the way, work in progress, the harder I find it to focus on conversations, the harder I find it to take in what I've read, so I will often find myself needing to reread the same page of a book twice, or I'm more distracted, so I walk into a room and forget why the hell I went into that room in the first place. Can you relate to this? So... Just like a muscle, you need to exercise your brain more and rely less on outsourcing your smarts to your smartphone. Now, if you use your smartphone to free up your brain to do bigger and more important things instead, great. If, however, you just use your smartphone as a memory crutch and you don't take opportunities to put your brain to work on the bigger, more important things, you are not exercising your brain and it will atrophy. Keep that brain active to counter the effects of digital dementia. So what can you do? Top tips. Top tips. Try to read at least 30 minutes a day. Try to not use your smartphone for drawing up shopping lists, for instance. I did some Jim Quick training courses via quickbrain.com and he taught some really quick and easy ways to remember shopping lists, long numbers, US presidents or the periodic table, for instance. Sad, I know, but I will share some of these simple tricks in future episodes as they are also really good fun. Challenge your brain daily with crosswords, puzzles or sudokus, for instance, to keep it plastic. And of course, don't forget to rest your mind by unwinding or partaking in meditation, for instance. Just like muscles, resting the brain optimizes its peak performance. And here's three quick tips for digital detox. I found these on Jim Quick's podcast interview with Jay Shetty. Top tips. Become aware of how much time you spend on your digital devices. Just like a diet does with food, become aware of what you're consuming and how long for. Perhaps use a journal to note how long you spend on Instagram or Facebook and make a note of screen time. And by the way, prepare to be in for a shock. Raise your awareness and know that something may well need to change. In fact, every week I'm going to post my daily average smartphone screen time on the muchbetteryou.com website or the 3 and 15 podcast Facebook group so that you may judge me. I mean, incentivize me to cut down. Secondly, create digital free zones in your home. Jay Shetty, for instance, removes tech from his kitchen and bedroom so that he can better focus on social interactions in those rooms. Ooh. For instance, in his kitchen, he can better enjoy his social company and food and live in the moment. He even goes as far as locking his phone outside in his car so that he is less tempted to go and grab it. Perhaps you can instead start by leaving your phone in another room. Shetty also recommends digital free times. He must schedule these into his diary, especially for first thing in the morning or last thing at night, as I've mentioned in previous episodes. 
And finally, just like a food diet, do not completely detox or remove digital devices all at once, as this extreme measure will cause the brain to crave the digitally induced dopamine rush even more. Instead, baby steps, cut down on your digital exposure more gradually. For instance, cut down on Instagram initially for maybe four weeks, and then Facebook for four weeks, and so on. This will likely create a longer-lasting solution. And I'll also add a personal tip here too. If you were going to use your phone, there is so much gumph out there in the form of Facebook ads, news feeds, TikTok video shizzle, etc., where effectively you're at the mercy of some very clever addiction programmers. So I would instead recommend perhaps choosing and paying for good information apps or source websites. For instance, a subscription to The Economist is really good, I think, for high quality news. But anyway, beware digital dementia. Episode 5, Principle 3, Manage Adversity. My dad passed away about six months ago, and I think I have only fairly recently got past the stage of shock. My dad was quite old, but unfortunately his demise was both rapid and unexpected, which I guess exasperated my shock. It is only now that his passing is really starting to land for me, as Essentially, the rest of the world has kind of gone back to normal, but now I more fully realise that he is no longer a part of it. I've lost family and friends before, but never an immediate family member, and so this is fairly new territory for me, as I've taken on a new level of grief that I've never before known. So you can imagine, with all the learnings that I've undertaken, or the research that I've done leading up to this podcast, the pain or grief process associated with loss is something that is of particular interest to me at this time, and I'm hoping that you can draw some use or comfort from this principle. So Kane Ramsey is a psychology and personal growth instructor who wrote a book called Responsibility Rebellion. The word responsibility comes up a fair bit in this podcast, doesn't it? But anyway, Ramsey says that we will all face adversity at some point in our lives through loss, poor health, job insecurity or financial jeopardy to name but a few. And it is incredibly difficult to channel positive thinking during such upsetting and frightening times. But the only beneficial response is to acknowledge your emotions, allow yourself to feel them and then you move on. You should entirely focus on asking yourself constructive questions about what you're feeling and then work your way through and out of your situation. Easier said than done, I must admit. But essentially, one shouldn't wallow in the feeling and don't allow your mind to become consumed with helpless and destructive thoughts. Don't allow destructive thoughts to take up so much space in your head that they become part of your identity. Don't allow adversity to become part of who you are and don't become fond of it. Some people even choose to wear adversity as some kind of badge of honour. They define their present and future selves by their emotional baggage. This is not healthy. Instead, adversity should be regarded as a challenge that you are glad to accept and overcome. This is where emotional intelligence or emotional quotient EQ comes in. Now, According to helpguide.org, EQ is the ability to understand, use and manage your emotions in positive ways to relieve stress, communicate effectively, empathise with others, overcome challenges and diffuse conflict. 
As Ramsey points out, unfortunately, many people you will encounter will lack emotional intelligence. And why do you think this is? Controversially, I think parents or educational establishments, for instance, have a lot to answer for. How common is it for children to be taught the value of emotions? Boys growing up in my generation, for instance, during the 80s or 90s, were encouraged to not be crybabies, you know, stiff upper lip and all that. And what do you think it is that leads some children or even adults to become bullies? It is caused by insecurity due to lack of EQ because they just can't emotionally connect with others. And, and do you think we'd be in the middle of a Russia-Ukraine conflict right now if certain people had more EQ? But anyway, with so little emotional intelligence out there, while it's tempting to stoop down and meet others where they're at, don't. It is of the utmost importance that you uphold your emotional intelligence standards at all times and lead others by example and wish the best for them. Emotional intelligence is a delicate balance between rational thinking, emotional awareness and expression, which requires continuous effort, practice and focus. So what can we do to build up our emotional intelligence skill set, which, by the way, may be defined by the following attributes? Effective self-management, self-awareness, social awareness and good relationship management. Now, please note that it's not good enough to just learn about emotional intelligence. Applying that knowledge to your life is key. Okay, here we go. Number one, acknowledge your emotion. Don't bury it. Don't hide it. Don't deny it. Don't be ashamed or embarrassed of it. Like I said, acknowledge it. Writing it down or journaling may be useful here. Number two, analyse your emotion. Think about it. How and why does it make you feel the way you feel? Remember what I said earlier? Is your current emotional experience a reflection of your early life experience? Number three, accept the emotion by considering differing perspectives. For instance, I accept the grief for the loss of my dad because it acknowledges the great love and joy that having him in my life brought me. And you know what? It's well worth it. Even when you lose a loved one, the pain you feel may offer you some comfort because it causes you to be grateful for and reflective of the time you had with that person when they were alive. Grief means that you had love in your life. The key, I think, though, is to try to be grateful whilst they are still alive in anticipation of the inevitable fact that nothing lasts forever. And by the way, again, journaling is useful for some here because it allows them some form of psychological separation from their emotions. Number four, handle your emotion. Read on the topic. Learn about coping strategies. Talk to friends that have themselves been through what you're going through. How did they deal with it? And significantly, practice self-care, including going for walks or exercise, as this increases cerebral blood flow and so improves mental clarity and reduces ruminating thoughts. And of course, as previously discussed in episode one, healthy sleep is massively important, as well as perhaps meditation and other grounding exercises that are useful tools too, because they enable you to live in and acknowledge the moment, the now, in order to take your mind away from the painful past or the anxious future. And finally, number five, engage with others and strive to recognize their mainly non-verbal cues to help steer them through their own challenging emotions. 
For to do so will not only bring you fulfilment, but you will find that others will regard you as reliable, trusting and inspirational. Manage adversity. Congratulations. You've made it to the end of episode five of the three in 15 podcast, in which I covered the following three principles. Find your why, beware digital dementia, and manage adversity. Want to read the transcript of this or the other episodes? Then please go to the muchbetteryou.com website to read or download them. Here you will also find other cool stuff too, including reference material and links to the music I use. And now to the final thought of the day. And remember, I would like you to respond to it on either the muchbetteryou.com website or the 3 and 15 podcast Facebook group. And the final thought is, the way I see the problem is the problem. I repeat, the way I see the problem is the problem. Thank you so much for listening. Have a legendary week and I'll see you at the next one.